Did you get my email about uh, the cash coming your way? Uh, hmm. Check your Kojiko account uh, email address. Okay, I don't have... I can't do that here. 104 bucks coming your way. Oh! Isn't that exciting? Yes, we'll tell you more about that in a moment. Okay. The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers. Are you still employed with CFRB and News Talk 1010? No, I'm not employed with anybody. I am still uh, a freelance contractor. I answer to no one except me and my clients. And wifey. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that goes without saying, doesn't it? Here we go. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes and GeoCities, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. Coolest concert ever. Why Jack White brought a lab coat and a clipboard to his latest show. Why headbanging is bad for your health and not for the reasons your mother claimed. Blowing up things for fun and profit. Meet Rory Jones, whose attention span hopefully lasted six hours. Pink Floyd's latest album's coming, but can you really call it Floyd? And now we have headphones designed just for porn. Uh, and before you ask, yes, you do stick them in your ears. And a GNB update on HMV. I'm getting better. No, you're not. You'll be stone dead in a moment. And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. This has got to be the coolest concert ever. Oh, this Jack White thing? Yeah. See, uh, this is why I really like Jack White. He could be just the normal, everyday kind of rock and roller and tour and put out albums. But no, I mean, he's got his own record label. He's set up in Nashville. He does all these weird sort of things at Third Man Record with vinyl, uh, not only for himself, but a variety of other artists. Uh, and he is very stylish and, and, and wants to make every uh, appearance, every concert, some kind of event. So this is how it worked. He was in London, and he wanted to get, uh, he wanted to put on a, a special secret show. So he enlisted the help of a company called the Punch Drunk Theater Company, and came up with this incredibly elaborate way of staging a show. Now let me let's just go through it here. The first thing is this Punch Drunk Theater Company set up a website for a fictitious company called <laughs> Vescovo and Co. Which provides instant results on infectious disease testing. Infectious diseases, yeah. So you, you, you enter your name and you'll get an automatic reply saying you are or are not infected with these diseases. <laughs> people were driven to this website through various social media and people were encouraged to register. A select number of people, somewhere under 100, later received a phone call and said, hey... We understand that you filled out something at Vescovo & Co. My name is Heather. I believe you would like to make an appointment. Yes, I would. All right, stand by for a text message. So uh, a few minutes later, a text message comes through, and it gives an address, an office block in central London just off the Strand. It's just a nondescript office block. Upon arrival at the appointed time, this would be around 11 o'clock. This is last Wednesday. Which starts to get a little suspicious in and to itself. Well, I mean, it's obviously something fans have figured out that it's, it's, it's a Jack White thing. They just don't know what to expect. 
Really? Yeah. So fans were greeted by a group of doctors and nurses. Which you put in quotes. Yes. You had to sign a, a disclaimer. Uh, the disclaimer included you agreeing to give up all rights and all internal organs. Now, that's where I start to have a problem with this. Well, it was a bit freaky, and they really went to, were into town on this. Everybody was tagged with what looks like looked like a hospital wristband. Um, you were your hands were inspected, and then groups of people were taken to an elevator where they met a certain Doctor Fleming. Doctor Fleming insisted that use everybody everybody use antiseptic gel on their hands, and then fans were later required to change into hospital gowns with masks. They bagged all their clothes and put them in lockers, and the reason they had to get into hospital gowns was so they could undergo some kind of physical and psychological tests. So uh, stethoscopes were produced, and people had their heart rates and their heartbeats listened to. They were administered medicine. They well, okay, well, for the the lights were shone into eyes and pupils were examined. Uh, you know, how are you sleeping? How are you eating? Hey, we have this document on urinary tract infections. We'd like you to read it. So it's all really, really kind of weird. Then everybody was shuffled into a second room and was filled full of wire cages of laboratory rats, and they were asked to sit down at a desk. Here is a pencil. We would like you to complete these maze tests. Once they were finished the maze test, there was a Rubik's Cube test, and then they played them a whole bunch of music. Write down any memories that are revoked by these song clips that included everything from Gregorian chants. And then here's where the medicine came in. A strange amber medicine was distributed, and uh, please take this down in one shot. Of course, it's, uh, it's, it's whiskey. Yep. <laughs> Suddenly, amongst all the people that were being tested, one patient was found to be infected. And there was all kinds of panic. Oh, my God. Uh, quarantine, quarantine, quarantine. So everybody was shoved into a dark room to be decontaminated. Which now would be a good time to point out that Jack White's album title was based upon a Philadelphia quarantine station. Called Lazaretto. Or Lazaretto. Um... So they're, they're taking, I don't think anybody knew that. They, they take everybody into this room and a whole bunch of dry ice fog <laughs> starts flooding the room. And you can just imagine, you know, it's dark, it's late at night, you're in a hospital gown, your clothes are someplace else, you've been surrounded by rats and you've been given this weird medicine and, and people have been, you know, poking at you with, with, with clipboards. And then uh, there's a, apparently a curtain that went into the room. The curtain drops. It's Jack White and his band. They're all wearing hospital scrubs, and they play um, a selection of solo stuff plus some white stripe stuff. The thing goes on for about 30 minutes. Then at the end, Jack has some kind of seizure. Apparently, he's been infected and collapses to the ground. He's carried off the stage in a stretcher, and everybody is immediately ushered out of the building onto the street. An ambulance pulls up. Jack is rolled out in the stretcher, thrown into the ambulance, and, ambulance, and the ambulance roars off into the night with sirens blurring. Meanwhile, back on the street, each fan receives a personalized prescription from Dr. John A. White III, and everybody gets a handwritten instruction to do things like pet a horse or be sure to eat your Ovaltine. And then the show's over. It's all done by, you know, one o'clock in the morning. 
That is a seriously cool concert. I can only imagine how much effort it would have taken just oh, to put all that together. And I know. Could you imagine being one of those lab-coated individuals in on the joke? Or even more so, being one of the people who's not in on it, and now you've got the lab rats and the smoke and all of that. I can imagine some people got pretty freaked out. Oh, absolutely, they got freaked out. But, you know, everybody was knew that this was some kind of elaborate Jack White production. He's done this sort of stuff before. I remember a number of years ago I, when the White Stripes were touring across Canada, they held an afternoon concert, a surprise afternoon concert in, <laughs> during an arts and crafts class at a YMCA daycare in downtown Toronto, which is really cool. But this, this is why you need a theater company to pull this off, right? Because it is just so elaborate and you need all the I mean, you know, everybody has to know their parts. Every, everything has to be scripted. You have to get all your props in. I mean, where do you get all these rats? You know, Punch Drunk is a theater company based out of Britain that's been around for about 14 years now. They call it immersive theater. In other words, the audience can do whatever they want. They can go where they want. There's no formal stage and seating arrangement at any of the Punch Drunk theater company's uh, operations. I think it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And that's why Jack White is one of the coolest performers, if not the coolest performer working right now. Cut the cord and go to geeksandbeats.com anytime. You'll get the latest episode and links to the stories the boys are talking about. Geeksandbeats.com. Also available on 8-track and cassette. Have you heard about this metal band that is going to play inside a locked box until they pass out? Yeah, this is uh, a part of an art project. The band is called Unfathomable... Unfathomable... I can't even say it. Ruination. And what they've done is uh, they've, they've created this, this airtight box that is going to be outside the gherkin. You know what the gherkin is? Uh, no, it sounds like some place you go for a pint. No, no, it's, it's, it's a big office tower that looks like a giant pickle standing on its end in London. Right. Everybody calls it the gherkin. Anyway, uh, what they're going to do, uh, what they've been doing, and they've got a series of these shows, they're going to uh, lock themselves inside this airtight box and then play until they pass out from lack of oxygen. What I find even funnier about the fact that they'll be playing until they pass out is this uh, image that uh, our uh, guest blogger Jason Tolman has uh, included with this article on the geeksandbeats.com website is that they've got soundproofing foam inside the box itself. So, Well, the idea is so you can't hear the music inside the box. Exactly. And therefore, the question becomes, what's the point? Well, in this black cube... It's part of an art installation, and the idea is that, you know, within this black cube, a, a metal band is playing until uh, they pass out and die. The quote reads, the box is soundproof, determined and restricting the performance's duration to the length of time in which oxygen is expended. Outside the cube, viewers observe its strange vibrations, only viewing the band's entrance and exit to the performance space. It's a bit weird, but I don't understand art. How much oxygen do you think there would be in this thing? Well, how many guys in the band? There'd be at least four guys in the band. Uh, the cube looks like it is... About six foot by six foot by six foot. Yeah, I would say it's a six foot cube. Um, so do the math on the interior cubic feet. Uh, what would your oxygen density be? What would be the uh, oxygen con uh, consumption of uh, people singing and playing? Um... I don't think they would last very long. Probably about six minutes. Is that what the answer is? That's my answer. Okay, well, it wouldn't be very long. But here's what I want to know. How do you alert people on the outside that, uh, hey, we're passing out here, we need to get out? 
uh, before you actually do die. <laughs> maybe just the vibrations come to a halt and that's how they know. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's it. Again, this is it's an art project. It was a, it was a Portuguese artist. Uh, that's involved in this sort of thing. And it's, it's, yeah, his name is uh, Wow Onfray. I don't know if I pronounced that right. Best of luck to unfathomable ruination. Let's hope that uh, you, you still manage to stay alive. If you're interested in uh, this, go to the Gherkin in London, England, between July 1st and August 2014, 6 p.m. Wednesday through Friday. They're very optimistic because they have scheduled multiple performances. Meantime, you got this really interesting article about, um, a, speaking of metal, headbanging. Well, this is a good story. A 50-year-old guy in Germany uh, who had very, very bad headaches, and they were getting worse, and he had no health issues other than that. He had no history of drug use. He had no history of previous injuries. So the doctors were really stumped. I mean, why do you have these headaches, and why are they getting worse? So they did a brain scan, and they found bleeding in his skull, something called a chronic subdural hematoma. And that's a serious thing. It's a brain bleed, and it requires drilling a hole in the skull to drain the blood and receive and relieve the pressure. And once that happened, you know, surprise, surprise, all the headaches subsided. He then had a follow-up scan, and doctors noticed that the patient had this benign cyst that really didn't seem to belong there. Until they heard that the guy was a Motorhead fan. In fact, he had been to a show just four weeks earlier. And once they started drilling down here, no pun intended, uh, he confessed to, you know, headbanging at metal shows for years and years and years. So the doctors had to come up with a theory as to what happened. They believed that the, uh, the you know, repetitive headbanging caused the brain to bump up against the skull, which makes a lot of sense. That may have led to the cyst, which in turn caused the brain bleed. And uh, they have published this because it's a very rare type of brain injury. And they published this in the medical journal, The Lancet. The doctors are quoted as saying, we are not smart asses who advise against headbanging. Our purpose was not only to entertain the readership with a quite comical case reported on complications of headbanging that confirmed the reputation of Motorhead as undoubtedly one of the hardest rock and roll bands on earth, but to sensitize the medical world for a certain subgroup of fans. Now, as I understand it, Motorhead itself, what makes them unique is the underlying rhythm of their tracks is upwards of 200 beats per minute. So you're yeah. banging your head pretty quickly. You're not a Motorhead fan, are you? Clearly not. No. Okay. Yes, Motorhead is a speed and thrash metal. Uh, Lemmy is a god. Um... Ace of Spades is one of the greatest songs ever written, and yes, you if you are, are enthusiastic about it, you will hurt yourself, and you will bounce your brain around on your skull. What I find interesting about this is that it is a 50-year-old man who had this history of worsening headaches. So maybe what we're about to experience as metal sort of enters its more mature phase, that now we're going to get all these 50, 60, and 70-year-olds coming into the doctor complaining of headaches because of their thrash metal headbanging ways. That's not beyond the realm of possibility. Again, this kind of metal and the headbanging tradition begins uh, really somewhere around the early 80s. So 83, 84, usually with the new wave of British heavy metal around that era, um, carrying through th uh, the 80s and into the 90s into today. So if you were a kid, 83, 84, 
and you've been a lifelong metalhead, uh, yeah, I mean, this this could seriously start to impact on your health in your in your middle age, middle and older ages. And I, you know, it's 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 not unusual. I mean, um, Tom um, Tom Herrera, um, guy from Slayer. He, uh, I mean, he was in you know, Slayer, <laughs> fantastic, you know, metal band. Um, f- four or five years ago, he was told by doctors, don't headbang anymore, uh, Tom, because um, your brain can't take it. Your neck can't take it. Your, sc- your, 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 your spine can't take it. Still in this subject, did you see my article uh, from iflscience.com, which, by the way, is I love science.com <laughs> is that what it stands for it does and it makes it really difficult for me to publicly share on facebook any of their <laughs> articles because i don't need that you know in my professional facebook account uh, but they've uh, contracted it i suppose for the purposes of brevity with their dot com uh, but uh, what uh, they're doing is they're quoting an article which came out of new scientist magazine about um researchers from george washington university have figured out how to turn off consciousness yeah this is you know nobody's ever figured out you know what happens when we fall asleep what happens when anesthetic is uh administered what happens when something happens to cause us to lose consciousness Uh, that's been a big mystery and and i guess it was this deep brain stimulation treatment that they were administering on this woman they found this this spot in the brain that if they uh, applied electrical stimulation to it she just kind of went all sort of sleepy before she... Yeah, it's like somebody just unplugged the record player. And then they stopped the stimulation, and then she woke up. The study was published in Epilepsy and Behavior. This is what they were ultimately looking for. They uh, injected these electrical nodes in between the left claustrum and the anterior dorsal insula. Basically, that is the advanced part of your brain. If- so this doesn't explain... Why my dog falls asleep. You're right. I don't know why the dog falls asleep. Does, does your dog have it? Maybe your dog has it. Uh, well, I mean, again, we're a lot talking of animals about... fall asleep. Well, yeah. I mean, we're talking about switching off consciousness. We're ta- and, and that's, that's that's you know, losing... All right. I'm on, I'm on the Wikipedia. Okay. I found it out. It is suspected to be present in the brains of all mammals. Ah, there we go. Better. There. See, a fish wouldn't have it because I don't think fish sleep in the traditional sense. They don't sleep in the traditional sense. Uh, I got a, a couple of goldfish for the little one. And it was like her, her fifth birthday. And I was like, you know what? These things are only going to last a week. Mm. Lasted a whole year. What? Both of them. Your, your goldfish? Goldfish. Really? Yeah. I, I know. Goldfish, yeah. They don't actually sleep. They look like they're sleeping. They just slow themselves down to conserve energy. So it gives off the impression of sleep. But yes, your pooch, who have either of your dogs had those dreams where they're running and their paws are moving and all that? Oh, all the time. All the time. That's a a different situation. As you fall asleep, you're lying in bed. Have you ever had those jerking motions that sort of jerk yourself back awake? Yeah. You know, you feel like you're falling and then all of a sudden, ah! Exactly. What that is, is that is your brain shutting down out of order. As you fall asleep, as you enter that REM sleep cycle, your brain shuts down motor control, uh, your, your ears. Have you ever had this where you wake up and you can hear the, the bedroom ceiling fans slowly come back into your consciousness? Mm, maybe. Maybe you have. It it's kind of has a kind of sound to it. Okay. It's the same sort of thing in reverse. So when you fall asleep and you don't fall asleep and your brain doesn't shut down your systems in the necessary order because you're falling asleep very quickly, uh, maybe because you're very tired or you're drunk. (laughs) Seriously. Uh, Apparently different types of foods and play a role in that as well. Uh, You you end up not shutting down the 
all of the motor control functions of your brain. And that's why your dog or you feel like you're you're running in your sleep and, and you jerk yourself around as you're about to fall asleep. I choose to believe that my dog is my, my dogs uh, are, are chasing rabbits in their dreams. They quite possibly are. You ready for Ask Ellen Anything? All right. I have a feeling I know what this one's going to be all about. Got a question about music, love, that suspicious rash? Ask Alan anything. Call 323-319-NERD. Uh, we've had questions about life. Mm-hmm. We've had questions about music. Mm-hmm. And now Geeks and Beats listener Shannon Simpson has provided you with that suspicious rash. She has taken three pictures of uh, a suspicious rash. I'm going to think... Well, I, I, my first guess was, uh, my first diagnosis was leprosy, yep. but that's uh, incorrect. And she replied, so no high fives then? No, not if you don't want your fingers to fall off. Um, I'm through bed bugs. Yeah. Bed bug bites. It's a, a dark spot with a lighter red patch around it. And in some cases there appear to be, there appear to be lines leaving it. Well, yeah. I mean, it looked like, they look like scratches. With, um, okay, imagine a mosquito bite that you've scratched and then dragged your finger in one particular direction. But there's no swelling. So it can't be a, for example, mosquito bite. She suggests it might be scabies. I don't even know what scabies are. No, I don't know. I, 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 no. <laughs> I, I have a feeling I don't want to look up scabies with Google image search. Well, I'm going to do it now. I'm going to just, uh, yeah. A contagious skin disease marked by itching and small raised red spots caused by the itch mite. Okay. Mm-hmm. So maybe, maybe you're right there, Dr. Cross. Okay, hang on. Um, Paging Dr. Cross. Hang on. I wish there were some pictures here. Um, I have a funny feeling you wish there weren't pictures there. Um, no, I don't have anything here. Okay, I'm going to... Okay, uh, skin rash... Would you advise she seek medical oh, well, I would attention? I see a you know, walk-in clinic. Scabies produces a skin rash composed of small red bumps and blisters that affect specific areas of the bodies. Of the body. Um, I have to admit, this is not helping with my 15-year crush on Shannon Simpson. Uh, sexual contact is the most common form of transmission. <laughs> Pardon? Scabies has been considered by many to be a sexually transmitted disease. Highly contagious. Well. Caused by the itch mite. We discussed that. All right, hang on. I just want some pictures. Oh, images. Here we go. Oh, 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 God, scabies in the crotch. Oh, 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 I didn't need to see that. I cannot see it. Oh. I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's scabies based on <laughs> the images I just saw on Google. No, it's not. If you've got a question for Alan, no, no, about hang on, what? hang oh, on. I oh. think what we ought to do is with uh, Shannon's uh, permission. I think we should post this and see if there are any if there are any um, physicians, dermatologists. Is, is there a doctor in the house? Is there a doctor in the house? Can you give a, us a quick? Uh, All right, go to geeksandbeats.com to the GNB update section, and so long as uh, Shannon has given permission um, to post her apparently sexually transmitted disease. Well, and listen, she she has because it's on Twitter. Okay, that's broadcasting. So, uh, Shannon, sweetie, um, you've given up all right to privacy on this one. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. 
We have a new co-producer this season, Paul Sagan. I believe Paul actually has previously donated the big show, so this is his second time around the block. Oh, and uh, special audio consultant Andrew Stokely is back. Yes. Very nice, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Uh, And, of course, if you wish to become a co-producer of the world's most popular podcast with Alan Gross and Michael Hainsworth, all you need to do is, uh, just like a real Hollywood production, you open your wallet (laughs) and you pay money. You don't have to do a damn thing. 25 bucks gets you a credit on the show, and we will email you a high-resolution version of the album art that you can uh, print off, frame, and hang in your mother's basement. And she will be very proud of you. She can take down that fish that you caught when you were five years old and put this up in its place. GMB guest blogger Matthew Smith has uh, put something on the new website on how to blow things up for fun and profit. Okay, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm all ears on this one. Yeah. Have you ever uh, had an interest in blowing stuff up at a concert or how they go about doing that? Oh, this is for pyro. Exactly. Oh, no, no, no. I, I'm the kind of... I grew up across the street from some railway tracks, and up and down the railway tracks were uh, anthills. And uh, I grew up in an era when you could still go and buy firecrackers at just about any five and dime store or drug store at any time of the year. So we would set up these uh, thermonuclear chain reactions in the anthill piles and blow those up. That was that's that's. He's got a great article on Rory Jones, a 29-year-old pyrotechnician uh, who's been doing it for about the uh, the last six years or so. And if you uh, read the article, there is, in addition to that, the actual interview that he did with him. You can listen to it as well. The only thing that concerns me about Rory Jones possibly losing a finger or two, the pyrotechnic safety course at the Eastern Ontario Fire Academy. There's such a thing? Was six hours. (laughs) Six hours and you're a certified pyro person? That concerns me somewhat. (laughs) But uh, he's been all around the world. Uh uh, And he's got a really interesting uh, story or two. Uh, So if you want to go to geeksandbeats.com, check out uh, Matthew Smith's article and listen to the interview there as well. I think that's fantastic. Uh, Six hours. I mean, we could do this on a Saturday. (laughs) Exactly. Be blowing stuff up by the afternoon. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. I don't know what we could do with it, but uh, that'd be kind of funny. Geeks and Beats update on uh, his master's voice, otherwise known as the uh, failing record store HMV. It's not failing. Not anymore. Not anymore. I mean, okay, let me go through the story once again. A couple of years ago, uh, HMV UK, HMV Worldwide, sold the Canadian operations to a company called Hilco. Hilco has two divisions. They have a liquidation division and a turnaround division. HMV Canada went to the turnaround division, and they did a lot of hard work and made a lot of hard decisions and managed to turn HMV Canada into a very, very uh, successful operation. Once again, they are profitable. Yes, they had to close a bunch of stores. Yes, they had to change their inventory. Yes, they had to do a whole bunch of things. But HMV Canada is in good financial health and making money. Uh, when uh, HMV UK could not turn things around, um, Hilco came in, bought them, and applied the same lessons they learned in Canada to HMV UK, closing a bunch of stores, consolidating operations, working on their inventory and all that sort of stuff. And now... Um, there is uh, very, very positive news to report that uh, HMV in the UK is, uh, is, is, has turned the corner and is now a viable operation once again. HMV is almost 100 years old. Yeah, I mean, it's been around since uh, World War I. 1921, they opened up their first ever store on Oxford Street. And they were a record label before then. Right. Uh, the Gramophone Company, in 1897, they had opened up the Gramophone Company to uh, sell the new technology through the record label itself. 
Yes. And so it's neat that a Canadian company, version, or at least a Canadian division, ended up saving this almost 100-year-old British institution. Yeah, Hilco is a British company. They took over the Canadian division. A lot of Brits involved. Uh, I've, I've met with them and very nice people. And they... They basically said, okay, now that we know how we do it in Canada, we're going to uh, do it in the UK, and they did. So HMV is an acronym for His Master's Voice, which uh, you may know of the little dog staring into the gramophone with its head cocked. Yeah, little nipper. Oh, see, I was going to quiz you to see if you knew the name of the dog. Oh, no, if you know anything about records, you know about little nipper. Think the internet is cool? Geeksandbeats.com is now available on computers. Read the stories the boys are talking about, stream the latest episode, and get caught up on back issues of the world's most popular podcast. Geeksandbeats.com. Also available on CD-ROM. Hey, Pink Floyd's coming back. Uh, kind of, sort of, Yes. Yeah, kind of, sort of. Roger Waters is not involved in this, is he? Roger Waters hasn't been part of Pink Floyd for almost 30 years. Wait a minute. I thought Pink Floyd's last studio album was 20 years ago. It was, but Roger Waters was not part of that. Hmm. So here's what we think is going on. Pink Floyd right now is two guys. Pink and Floyd? No. Stop it. (laughs) Uh, It's uh, just stop it. It's David Gilmour and drummer Nick Mason. And if you want to really get honest about it, it's, it's David Gilmour. Uh, Richard Wright, the band's keyboard player, died of cancer in, I think it was 1994. Roger Waters wants nothing to do with Pink Floyd anymore. Why not? Well, there was uh, a a rift, a schism that began in the middle 70s that really blew up when Pink Floyd recorded The Wall. What happened during the recording of The Wall? Because that is really their quintessential album. It it is, but there was a huge personality clash between uh, Gilmore and and, and Waters. And uh, that rift was was never really healed. Hmm. So um, anyway, apparently there was plans in 94. There was a, a side project being recorded at the same time that Pink Floyd was doing an album called The Division Bell. They were doing a, a side project at the time with Richard Wright before he died. So apparently what happened, it was called The Big Spliff. And it's been something of a, a legendary, mythical unicorn of uh, Pink Floyd fans. And uh, apparently what they've done is they've dusted off these tapes. Richard Wright appears on some of these tracks. And David Gilmore and Nick Mason have gone in and basically added to those tracks from 94. And those are going to form the basis of whatever we see coming in December, which we think is going to be called The Endless River. If Rogers Waters isn't involved in it, is it really Pink Floyd, though? Well, I mean, this is something that the purists will argue about. Um, I really haven't been much of a Floyd fan since The Wall, everything before that. Everything from about 1972 to 1980, I'm I'm, I'm fine with. Anything after that, not really. But... uh, you know, Roger Waters goes on tour on his own performing Pink Floyd tracks. And since he was the vocalist for a lot of the uh, a lot of the, the big songs post Dark Side of the Moon, it, it, it's essentially a Pink Floyd show. Uh, and he wrote most of the wall or, or is, was in charge of putting together most of the wall. So, um, you know, again, it's it's like uh, the, the, the split in the in, in Christianity between East and West. 
It's never going to get fixed. You found yourself a, a new set of headphones. I'm happy with my new Sennheisers, by the way. Oh, what did you get? Um, blue ones. Oh. <laughs> are these uh, are these earbuds or uh, no? Ear, these ear, are ear. over ears. They're from uh, the Apple Store, as we have been previously discussing. I got a big credit for the Apple Store, so I needed to buy them. Why from did there. you get the credit? Uh, it's a long story. Okay. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, these are really sweet. They they and the neat thing about these headphones is they remind me of a pair of headphones that I wore about fifteen years ago when I was at the Rogers Historian Office. The what? Yes. Uh, uh, Rogers Communications, which is the, the company behind um, a whole host of radio stations. And, and ironically enough, not CFRB, Canada's first Rogers battery list. No, they haven't been since 19... <sighs> it's been a long time. It's like the 60s. Uh, it was the 70s. I think Conrad Black came in there with Argus Corporation. It was complicated, but anyway. So Ted Rogers Sr., the man who started the ball rolling on what you now know as the giant cable company in Canada, uh, he started up a radio station ostensibly to sell the batteryless radios that he himself had uh, pioneered back at a time when you would have to hook your battery uh, up to your radio and we didn't have any standard plug in the wall kind of uh, scenario. No, you had these big stupid dry cells. Exactly. Um, so he started up a radio station uh, in what you may know now as the Keg Mansion in downtown Toronto. It was uh, the bicycle club before that. The top floor was the radio station. And so there is a historian at Rogers Communications who has a lot of the old gear. And I actually wore the headphones that Ted Rogers Sr. wore when he was on the radio in 1922. Wow. These new Sennheisers look an awful lot like that. Well, there's really not much you can do to change the, you know, the, the, the design of, of over-ear headphones. They've got small speakers with uh, foam padding and, and a lovely little leather uh, contraption around it. But the, it's almost like a single wire that connects the two of them um, as part of that, that headband. Mm. And then these little wires stick out and they roll up into the headband itself. And it looks like something out of a uh, Bugs Bunny cartoon, you know? Where's the kaboom? There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. Mm-hmm. Very similar. And the audio quality is fantastic. Headphones are very, very, very subjective. You know, I hate Beats headphones. I just absolutely hate Beats headphones. Yeah, you don't like the, the, the pumped up low end. There's only one problem with these headphones is they're very tight. Like, I, mean, I'm, I clearly have a large head. No, the, see, that's, that's the part of what I talk about headphones being very subjective. It's not only how they sound, but how they fit on your head. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I really like uh, Fostex. Fostex used to make some really, really good headphones, but they didn't sit on my head properly. I liked how they sounded, but after a while, they slipped off or, or um, they, they hurt my ears. So I've been a, a Sony uh, guy for, for many, many years for, for doing stuff like podcasts and radio broadcasts. Um, but when I do production work, excuse me, when I do production work in a, in a recording studio, uh, there are the big Sennheisers with the, the soft foam earpieces that uh, you can wear for hours and hours and hours. And they're very light and they don't, uh, they don't hurt your head. Maybe you want to pick up a pair of Ladobies? Yes. I'm not really sure why we need these uh, other than, you know, you're looking for a unique selling proposition in a very crowded marketplace because there are dozens and dozens, if not hundreds or thousands of brands of headphones out there. But uh, Ladobies are the six-way earphones. They're in-ear earbuds. Uh, they are said to provide 360-degree surround sound that is optimized for the audio of, wait for it, porn. Porn. Yes. 
how. Uh, I don't know. In other words, they play really quietly so that you don't wake up your spouse? I, you know what? It's, I've, I've gone to the website. They're $39 a pair. <laughs> There's a dollar value proposition missed right there. Well, I know. Um, so I'm, I'm looking at the product description. It says innovative design. Okay. Uh, 360 degree surround sound. Well, by definition, if you have headphones, that's basically what you're getting. No ear pressure. It's got a cushion design. Well, that's like a billion other headphones. Multiple innovation patent, which means nothing. Duplex material and composite diaphragm. You're assuming that that's the headphone diaphragm? Yeah, that yeah. that diaphragm, yeah. So, uh, you know, they have, you know, big frequency spot, uh, response, 15 hertz to 22 kilohertz. Um uh, you know, uh, and then they've got, do they have any videos on this one? No, they don't. No, they don't. But uh, this is the company behind Love Pals. So this is their, their next step in their erotic-oriented gadgets. They've got the Zeus and the Hera. Have you seen these? Okay, I'm going to click on the Zeus. and uh, Yeah, it's a good thing you're not at work right now. Ooh. Uh, oh. Yeah. Really? Uh, the Zeus for a Man is an innovative air pump. I'm reading from the website. Yeah. Simulates the sensation of female genitalia. And then the Hera for women is the exact same thing, but for the ladies. You know, that's a very clean design, though. I mean, it looks like um, something Bang & Olufsen might design. Yes. It's wireless, and it's designed for um, long-distance romance. Oh, what do they call that? Teledildonics. Teledildonics. Thank you. Yeah. That's right. Yes, here we go. So the company is just basically trying to extend beyond the obvious, because I suppose if you're using these products, you're going to want to have headphones on in the first place. There you go. So you're going to need your, your, your Zeus for men and your Hera for women. I would have thought it'd be the other way around. Uh, You'd think the women would have Zeus and the men would have Hera. Forbes did an article on this? <laughs> Sex sells. But apparently not as much as you might think. There was a recent study that concluded that um, sex gets the attention, in a, whether it be a beer commercial or, or what have you. But the recall rate for a uh, you know sexually charged advertisement is only 50%. So there's a 50-50 chance you're not going to remember the actual product to purchase that product. And those who do, in fact, remember, only one in ten actually purchased the product based upon the sex-driven advertisement they saw. I'm looking at the FAQs for the Adobe. Oh, no. Uh, what OS do you support? Mac, Android, iOS, Windows Phone, BlackBerry, etc. As long as it has an audio hole. Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.